You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, this is Katie, and it's another episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. And on today's episode, I have Dr. Christina Hallett. She is a board-certified clinical psychologist, executive coach, speaker, and author. She coaches entrepreneurs, medical and health providers, and has driven professionals out of stuck and burnt out and overwhelmed by teaching them the skills to be confident and stress smart. That's different. Stress smart. Tell me, um, tell me more about this because you are talking to a bunch of nurses, and uh, burnout is like our middle name. We just, <laughs> a lot of us are very tired and exhausted, and just don't even know what to do with ourselves. Uh, so, talk us through this. Give us some background, and and you can take it from there. <laughs> Absolutely, Katie. And boy, do I know that. And let me just start off by saying my husband just had his second major surgery within four months. First time, uh, he had a number of complications and was in the hospital for 11 days instead of two. And this last, yeah. Yeah. And this last time was uh, a planned four nights. So uh, not only do I have just the most complete and significant respect and appreciation for nurses, but I have to say in both cases, the care he received and the support that he received meant so much to him. And he went on and on and on actually in the recovery room about, these are the best nurses. They're just helping me so much. It's great. He then started telling them about my second book, the one called Be Awesome, Banish Burnout, Create Motivation from the Inside Out. So then the nurses were coming up to me and saying, what? Burnout? Like, that's such an issue. And I said, oh, God, I know, I know. So we ended up having a whole bunch of conversations, and I was giving out copies of the book left and right, and like, thank you for your care, and here you go. Oh, yeah, that's a great gift. (laughs) (laughs) So absolutely. There's no question, but that burnout is huge. It's huge in all of the professions. But specifically, I was just looking at a survey last week uh, because I was doing a talk on this issue for healthcare practitioners. And I think that uh, as of 2014, the last reported rates of burnout for nurses by a Mayo Clinic survey was around 70%. Wow. Right. Wow. Let me say 70% showing at least one symptom or acknowledging at least one symptom of burnout. So that doesn't mean that 70% of all our nurses who participated in the survey actually met all of the criteria and, you know, life had just completely fallen apart, but it's, it's huge. There's no getting around it. So I'll start with stress smart. And this is from some of the newest research. Are you familiar with Dr. Kelly McGonigal from Stanford? That name is very familiar, but yeah, tell me about her. (laughs) Yeah, so she has a TED Talk, so people can, I am a huge fan of her. She's got a TED Talk, and she's got several books, but her most recent is called The Upside of Stress. And in this book, really what she talks about is a different way of looking at stress. And combining this 
new information about looking at this with the research that we have on mindset science can really begin to make a shift in how we deal with the stresses that come up in all of our lives, right? So that's where my stress smart piece comes from. And really what Dr. McGonigal says is she's a health psychologist and she in her TED talk, she says, I've been so wrong. You know, I've been teaching everyone about the negative effects of stress for over 10 years. And now, ah, wait, wait, I need to tell you something different. And she's engaging and delightful. And it boils down to this. It is absolutely true that when we see stress as negative, it has all sorts of very uh, important, significant, and often enduring uh, impacts on our physical, mental, and emotional health. So absolutely, we need to be paying attention. However, if we begin to look at stress from a positive perspective, then we have a way to use that as a protective factor against the negative impacts. And in essence, it all boils down to these three points. Stress increases your energy, increases your focus, and it's a sign that the thing that's stressing you out is something of meaning to you. And if we think about that from what we know, absolutely. In fact, stress does increase energy. I mean, that's the entire thing that's going on, right? We've got our whole internal systems activated. So we do have more energy. I really like the second piece about stress helps us to focus because Typically, what we think is, I'm so stressed, oh, I can't think, I'm confused. And that's true. But if we step back and look at that a little more closely, it's more like I can only think about the stressor. And that's where we have the laser focus. And it's the other areas that we are having a harder time dealing with. So I know if I've come home from a really long day and my husband says, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, ah! I can't think, you know, don't ask me that again. Right? So instead, understanding, well, we can actually get more efficient and effective because we've got such a stress, a laser focus under that time of stress. And then, as I said, the third piece is really understanding that the stressor is indicating to us that this is something of meaning. And I think that for nurses, often... Nurses are people who've gone into the profession because they have a soul deep interest in supporting, connecting, and caring for others, in really making a difference. And keeping that in mind is a major protective factor in managing so that burnout doesn't come along. That sounds great. And, you know, I, I can totally relate to the focus piece of that, too, because. I know that if I have something really important coming up, I always push it off until like the last moment. Somebody will say, I need your PowerPoint. I need your PowerPoint. I say, look, this PowerPoint is not getting done until the last day because I know that I can focus and I'll get it done. <laughs> uh, and that's like the only way that I can get things done because you are being pulled in so many different directions. But that concept of, of, of it being positive as opposed to negative it's it really that is a real mind shift that's something 
I haven't heard just because we're always so focused on the, the negative side of stress. And that's one of the reasons I'm really doing everything I can to share this information with people, because I think that there's something fascinating and important that's really going to help us shift how we see our world and perspective, really how we're viewing what's going on in our own lives and in our work lives makes an enormous difference in how our body responds and how we feel. So, Dr. McGonigal cites some of the research from a woman also at Stanford named Aaliyah Crum. And I'll tell you my very favorite study that she, there's others, but of course I don't remember all the details for the other ones as well. But this one really caught my eye because what I love as a psychologist is when there's documented scientific evidence. I'm all about the data. So when we can see a shift in data, for me, that's super exciting. I'm like, see, see, there's data. We know this is true. So here's what they did. They had a group of people and they separated them into obviously a control group and an experimental group. And they spoke to the control group and said, brief explanation about stress, basically reviewing what we've typically talked about in terms of the negative effects of stress. And then they put them through a laboratory stressed experience, uh, one that's typically done. And they measured salivary levels of cortisol and DHEA before the stress test and then after. And I don't mean stress tests like you take for heart condition, but a, a intervention that creates stress. And so then they were comparing the different levels. So what they saw in the control group was that cortisol went up, which it should, that no surprise. We know that's what happens when we're stressed. And then what they saw was that the level of DHEA stayed the same. And it's the ratio between cortisol and DHEA that has an impact on the effects, for example, of cortisol on the heart. That's one of the things that we're concerned about. People say, oh, you've got chronic stress, and that's really some of the health effects. But here's what's so fascinating. For the experimental group, what they did is give them a version of what I just shared with you about the positive effects of stress. And then they measured their cortisol and DHEA, put them through the same stress intervention, measured cortisol and DHEA again. So their initial levels were the same. But what they saw was that afterwards, the cortisol went up and so did the DHEA. So it altered the ratio. And what that meant by the ratio changing between cortisol and DHEA, that the hearts of those participants were being protected from the negative effects of cortisol. So just thinking in a short intervention about stress from a different perspective actually created a body change at the hormonal level in those participants. And so that blows me away because I'm like, look, that's just how are we thinking about something? And we get that response that's different in our body. Yeah, that's amazing. And the, the, the perception uh, and awareness, I think, is, is so important. So the first step of being aware of an issue or being aware of something and then your perception, how that plays a role. And that's actually what I did my dissertation. And I looked at people when they were uh, after brain injury, some of them went back to work, some of them didn't, and it was just you know so the ones that had this this perception that their brain injury was a new lease on life, like they were going to go out and and do things now that they hadn't tried before, obviously did well. But the people that were just solid as you know this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me, it didn't do well. And it seems kind of obvious when I 
talk about the results, but it wasn't so obvious going through it. it it's kind of the same thing with, with what you're saying, you know, that um, it, it seems like if you have just saying positive words or having that positive perception can change everything. And it's, that's really powerful. It really is. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book Mindsight. Is it Mindsight? Mindset by Carol Dweck. Yeah. Uh, so it's another thing that's in the, come out in the last few years. But really, this she's talking deeply about the science, mindset science, and all of the different studies that have been done on literally helping people develop a different perception. And that different perception, exactly like you found in your dissertation, makes such a difference. Now, I mean, we're never saying that anything is 100% of the time for everyone in all circumstances. But I really think that we need to keep in mind, if we want to maximize our chances for things to go in the way we'd like them to go, well, paying attention to our perspective and our mindset really makes a difference. And what I think is fabulous is that we now have very strong research data to back that up. It's not just, oh, sure, think positive and things will go well, right? We now understand that there's a way in which allowing in hope and possibility and seeing oneself as confident and competent makes a difference both in how we feel and then the outcomes that we get. Right. That's amazing. So, Christina, how did you get into all of this? I, I mean, was this something, so you're a psychologist, Is did you, was this your focus or is this something that you kind of came into through some experience or... So I've actually been practicing as a clinical psychologist for, well, over 25 years now. We'll just say that. Quite a long time. And I've worked in a whole variety of different areas from outpatient uh, clinics to running inpatient services for kids to a hospital to adult serious mental illness in community mental health. And currently I'm an associate professor at Bay Path University in Massachusetts. So one of my interests has always been issues, women's studies, women's empowerment, but personal growth. And that's just been an interest of mine and something that I've really tried to stay on top of. And one of the things that's pretty surprising to me is that many other people in the mental health field are not paying as much attention to the personal growth and development research and things that come out so that that literature is not necessarily top of mind for other people who are in the mental health field. And that sort of blows my mind because I think, wow, there, there's so much of benefit rather than poo-pooing this. How about we really get educated ourselves and see how we can bring all this together? So really what happened for me is that this has been an area of interest and focus over now decades. And in 2016, literally right after we had the election, I was really concerned about the way that people were feeling across the country and not in terms of specifically a partisan perspective, but just what it was like and seeing the divisiveness for people. And that's literally what spurred me to move much more clearly and specifically into this area. That's when I wrote my first book, um, On Best Friend, Eight Steps to a Life of Purpose, Passion, and Ease. And that's really drawing on all of the years of work that I've done with people, plus the psychological science that I've been studying for work and for myself, and incorporating that into that in a conversational manner. Because I want people to understand that we do have the ability to impact how we see 
see the world, how we experience the world, and how we feel about ourselves. And so it really started from there, and it's just grown and gotten more and more clear. And I often, I'm the person who's making recommendations. So anytime I talk to someone, I'm like, have you read this? Have you listened to this? This, I love Audible. I listen to audiobooks all the time because I travel a lot for different speaking engagements, so I'll be able to listen. And then I want to tell everyone, like, oh, this is fantastic. Learn, grow, yay. <laughs> That's great. Um, and you have, uh, so you've also had this speaking career. So you've been going out and giving, like, how did you get into speaking? Is that something that just grew out of the book or naturally? Or did you, you know, how did you get it into that line? Yeah, the backdrop of that is that given the positions that I've had, I've been running staff trainings for literally decades. I've done consulting and staff training. And one of the focus that I've always had in staff training has been um, work-life balance and support to staff. And that's been sort of every kind of staff you can imagine. Not even, I've, I've been brought into, let's say, schools to help work with school staff or administrators, things like that. So I already had been doing trainings and workshops. And then when I began to, and I, and I teach, you know, as I teach in a graduate program. So Doing that was pretty comfortable, although I will admit that when I first started giving presentations at an agency that I worked for in Connecticut, and at this point, that was probably about 15 years ago, the first few times that I would get up to do this in front of people I knew, I was so uncomfortable. I wanted to just go through, talk, do one of those kinds of things, like, ah, I don't want to do this. And there's actually, we already know that the number one fear if for people in the U.S., higher than any other fear is the fear of public speaking. Right? And there's some research that suggests that that has something to do maybe with that activation of our limbic system and the amygdala with all those eyes that are on you. So I, and I really was a person who was in that place of feeling like I knew my material, but I just, you know, people would sit in the audience and they'd just be staring at you. And... <laughs> I'm like, could you laugh? You know, so I can be pretty goofy and I'm more than happy to make silly jokes. And I would try to get people engaged because when they relaxed, then I relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I was going about this all the wrong way. And in fact, the thing to do was for me to go up and have fun. And I say this to my students every time I start a semester. I say, look, here's the bottom line. I'm here and I'm going to have a good time. Now, it's up to you whether or not you do. But the reality is if I'm having fun, there's a chance that you'll have fun. If I am not having fun, you are not having fun at all. <laughs> And so really using that as an opportunity. So after the books, I began actively looking for places to spread this message. I, I felt uh, pretty driven myself to be sharing this idea and this information about we literally can alter our internal negative voice and stop that critic. And so that's really where our own best friend. And I, there's a whole series of talks I do related to that. And then beyond that, growing into that was really addressing burnout and compassion fatigue. And the reality is that there are some things we can't change, some things in our work environment that we're not able to do anything about. So the only thing we know for sure that we can do something about is our own thoughts, feelings, and actions. And so that's really been my focus, or what are the things that people can do? And I'm 
very much in favor of small actions that people can take that have a pretty big impact on how they're feeling or how they approach something. Just like, so become stress smart, like view stress from this different mindset and you're going to see a huge payup, but it's a small action. So that's how it's grown. That I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. So now, do your are your speaking engagements? Do you set up your own live events, or are, are people coming to you and requesting you to come speak on their stage, or how does that work? Yeah, uh, there's a whole range of things. So you can find my profile, for example, on Speaker Match or Speaker Hub or eSpeakers. I'm a member of the NSA, the National Speakers Association, and there's also a subgroup, the Women Speakers Association. So I'm part of both of those. So. To begin with, I put myself out there and just said, okay, here are my topics. And I got coaching in this area. I reached out to people for help and I did a lot of trial and error. And so, you know, I just kept saying to anyone who would listen to me, hey, if you know anybody who would be interested in having someone speak on these topics, then let them know. So, gave out an awful lot of business cards, had lots of conversations, and began doing the thing that for me at least was super hard and I think is hard for a lot of people when they're starting out, which is contacting people and saying, hey, would you be willing? Would you be interested and willing to have me on your stage? So that's things like the National Association for Professional Women, um, E-Women. There's a couple different E-Women chapters local to here, other kinds of organizations. I would just say, would you be willing to have me come in? So those initial engagements were primarily free. And I was doing those because I was building awareness, both of my own message and of, well, no, of me as a speaker and for the message that I was trying to put out there. Also went to my own university and offered to do a community-based talk on rewiring your brain for success and bringing in neuropsychology and some of the things that we know. Really, everything is geared for me around simple and practical tools that we can do used to make changes in our life. And the more that I did that, so someone would be in the audience and then people would come up and say, oh, I really like this. And then I would work to have that conversation and just be the real person and that I am and say, thank you so much. This is great. And what did you like? And then we'd be talking and then I'd say, yeah, I'm always looking for other places. And then they would say, oh, well, let me pass your name along. And so that began to grow over time. And now I'm happy to say that I do get contacted by a variety of different people who found me, you know, and who knows how, because sometimes people find me through specifically the different speaker websites, but other times, you know, everyone loves Google. So I'm pretty sure that people are just Googling a topic and part of creating a speaking career is using the keywords that are connected to the things that you want to be talking about to get found. Right. Well, thank you for um, sharing that because I think there's this, we have this, and I think everybody does this, but you take someone like you, you're a clinical psychologist, an associate professor, you're a speaker, author, all these things. And it's easy to just say, well, you know, you get speaking engagements because you know, you're you, <laughs> you're special. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so it's easy to do that, uh, especially when you're first starting out. It's just assume that other, everybody is somehow more special than you are. So, um, you know, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, that's actually something that I end up talking to people about a lot, whether it's in the executive coaching that I do or in various 
talks that I give is that piece of we tend to downplay our own skills and abilities and we get caught up in this comparison. It is really not helping us because we think it's easy for someone else or they can do it or nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And that's part of that internal voice that I really want people to be shifting and saying, yes, you can. You absolutely can. And that you have something to offer. But it also means you're going to have to work at it. Like it, I do not know anyone who has suddenly, you know, skyrocketed with no effort. <laughs> fabulous position. So it may look effortless, but it isn't. Right, right. That's that's definitely the key. Now, you, you, both of your books, they uh, they address these issues or they, they talk about what you're talking about now? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And what are the names of the books again? The first one is Own Best Friend, Eight Steps to a Life of Purpose, Passion, and Ease. And the second one is Be Awesome, Banish Burnout, Create Motivation from the Inside Out. And can we get both of these books on your website? You can get them on Amazon or you literally, if you just Google them, they're at all sorts of online sellers all over the place. I usually just go to Amazon and you can find them on my website as well. Okay. And what is your website? My website is drchristinahallett.org. So that's D-R-K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-H-A-L-L-E-T-T.org. Okay. And I will have links in the show notes as well. So when people want to find you, they can go to your website or find you on Amazon. Absolutely. Thank you. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been really great speaking with you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I really hope that this is some of the information that's useful to your audience, because I know there are so many nurses out there who have so much of value to share, and it's time for them to get their voices heard. I absolutely agree. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks.